Welcome to the ministry of Mercy Seat Ministries and evangelist Pat and Karen Jackson. We believe that the message you are about to hear will mightily change your life. Open your heart, mind, and spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. We must declare it to the next generation. I want you to think about something. I know there was a question that was posed to you earlier this, this week is how many of you have fathers, but with your eyes closed. I want you to, I want to ask you a question. Who can you write when things go bad? When you're wanting to quit, when you feel like giving up, when you're discouraged, when you're defeated, who can you write? Yeah, I can get on my face and I can cry out to God. Absolutely, yes. But you know what I found out is when my little girls or when my son get hurt, when they, when they get hurt, they cry out to daddy. There was a man by the name of Titus that cried out to a man by the name of Paul that fathered him. And he says, I hate these people. I hate this place. Get me out of here. And Paul said, no, stay. Who can you write that will tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear? That says, what I've left unfinished, what I left half done, you will accomplish. Who can you write when things go bad? Everybody look at me. February 26th was the worst day of my life. Ministry is going good. Family's absolutely amazing. Have the most beautiful woman in all the world, 17 plus years in, in marriage. I absolutely adore her. She's my best friend. She's absolutely, I, I nicknamed her fire because she's hot. I absolutely adore that woman. I have the greatest children in all the world. My children do not cause me problems. You know why? Because I taught them how to pray. And I have a great, amazing bride that teaches her how to live for God. My family's not falling apart. Ministry is good. I have amazing school of ministry. I, ministry is going good. And on February 26th, I got a phone call as I was walking out of the church. I got a phone call on a friend that called me and he says, it's over. I'm done. My wife just left me. I talk with him and all of a sudden I hang up with him and I'm, I'm in my car and I'm driving and as I'm driving, all of a sudden my phone rings again and I pick up and it's, it says, Can, will you accept a collect call? And it said his name. And 9.95 later I, I said, Pastor. And he says, I'm in jail with attempted murder charges I said, what? Now, this is a 60-year-old man who is the most kind-hearted, most patient, most soft-spoken person I've ever met in my life. And he's in jail for attempted murder because his wife said something to him in the kitchen. He punched her in the face. He tackled her, and he started choking her. And his daughter just happened to show up as she was passing out. And the daughter pressed charges for attempted murder on him. I said, Pastor, how did it happen? And he says, because I learned how to do ministry without praying. He said, I can't tell you the last time I went to a prayer closet. Do you know that there are resources that will teach you how to preach? And if you don't have enough time to get in your prayer closet, you can print off a sermon. Can I tell you that, that, that listen, you don't have to worship. Just put on Hillsong. If you don't have time to get in the Word, just listen to a podcast. It is, it is for you. And there's a bunch of little birds that are sitting in the nest that are that's just opening up their mouth. And, and there's a mama bird that comes out. Listen, it is not my job to give you revelation. It's my opportunity to get you presents. But listen, I hung up with him and my heart was gripped. I'm weeping. I'm going, no way. There's two. That's just impossible. My phone rang, literally rang. I looked at the phone. And I said, oh, God, not him. He said, she just left me. I said, Pastor Sawyer, I, I was, I felt like I got blasted in the face. I didn't know what was going on. It was almost as if literally Satan was flying airplanes into buildings called my friends. And everything was falling and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. And, and from that day on, 
29 of my friends have called me. I'll never forget Daniel, who runs our school. He walked in my office one day, and he just goes, are you okay? And I just had hung up the phone, and I said, no. I said, let's just, can we just go somewhere? And honestly, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have enough tears. On Sunday, I watched one of my dearest friends in all the world. All of a sudden, he realizes his marriage is in trouble. Guys, listen to me. This isn't to, to, I don't want this to end on a bad note, but listen, let me explain. Who can you write when things are going bad? Who's the Paul in your life? Yes, I totally understand we need to chase mentors, but you know what? Too many times mentors get on stage and give you advice, not their phone number. I had a guy tell me, Pastor Tim, he told me, he says, after I was telling the story at a youth camp this summer, he says, how come everybody called you to tell you that they backslided? And I said, because I gave them my number. It's one thing to stand behind a platform and give you my advice, but it's another thing to give you the most personal thing I have, and that's my cell phone. And saying, listen, morning, noon, or night, call me. Can I tell you, my family, my, my interns, it gets on their nerves because I stand at an end of an altar. I have this rule, listen, I'm the first one there and I'll be the last one to leave. I like to sit there and talk to people and I'll pray for them. And there'll be a line of 100 kids and I'm sitting there dying because I'm so tired. And I'll pray for every single one. Now, is that my obligation? Yes, it is. Because you know what? Yes, I understand. And this is not contradicting anything that anybody has said here. But listen, my daughters don't have to chase me to make me show up at their recital. My, my, my kids, I know what's important to them. Tonight, we will get on a plane. We will fly to Colorado. I will, we will drive two and a half hours. We will change clothes, put on a uniform or, or a school thing, and show up at a game because I'm going to meet a game. And then as soon as that's over, I've got two slumber parties that's feeling a gymnasium for my two girls. Because one turned 16 and one turned 13. You know, what I, you know why we don't mentor you know why you're not being mentored? 65% of people that are graduating from our Assembly of God colleges don't have a mentor, have never been mentored. You know why? Because it takes relationship to be a father. You know what we're good at? Artificial insemination. Let me just give you a donation. And I don't have to have relationship with you. And what, guess what's happened? A generation has raised up and just sits there and they are fathered through a book or they're fathered through a sermon. That's not fathering. That's artificial don donation. It's totally impersonal. It's total. You've got to have somebody that gets into your life and tells you what you don't want to hear and says, knock it off. Yes, I'm your number one fan in the stand, but also I'm here to make sure that you're going to keep on doing this in the next 10 years. A father cares. A father has relationship. A father is there at all times. Well, Pat told the story about how Nate cried in the middle of the night. Listen, a father was there to answer. And guess what? The father went from the father went from his bedroom when he heard the cry and went and crawled into bed with the son. That's, that's, that's what a father does. A, fa a mother is like Jeannie Mayo that when one of her sons, Doug Everard, who's a dear friend of mine, lost his four-year-old son, got on a plane, canceled what she was doing, and went and stood by him at the funeral of his son and said, listen, I love you, son. That's mentoring. That's fathering. Who in your life? Listen, if you don't have that, get it. You've heard from fathers, Glenn and Jim and Pat, Pastor George. You've heard from these fathers, but listen, it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to receive it. It's another thing to go get it. You know what makes good kids? The inability to, say, to take no for an answer. Go to Walmart with my kids. My seven-year-old would drive you crazy. He's learned how to ask in Spanish. My son wants, can I tell you, children want. And want takes time. And time takes relationship. 
I want to talk to you just for the next couple of moments because, listen, I want you, when you speak, listen, I don't want you to, 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 to amaze and mesmerize people with your words. Paul says, I did not come with wise or persuasive words. I came with demonstrations of power. When was the last time that you spoke? Literally, people could feel the presence of God and begin to weep. What you're walking through, yes, as you embrace brokenness, so do you embrace the cross. How many have ever been around that person that has eaten garlic or onions? Do they have to tell you that they've eaten garlic and onions? Why? You can smell it. You're like, oh my God. You can feel it. You're like, my face is melting right now. Whew. You'll step back. When was the last time that you didn't have to get up and say, I spent time with God, but they could feel it on you? Your, your words have been seasoned with God. And as you're speaking, they're going, oh my gosh, this is, this is too much to handle. It's taking their breath away. They're sitting there going, I feel God because you felt God. And God's all over you and your words are so saturated, marinated and penetrated with God. And as you're speaking, it's gripping me. Preachers, we're good at them hearing our voices, but can they feel God's love and can they feel your pain? We talked about dying. We've heard all these great things. Yes. I want to talk to you to just for the next couple of moments so that you can get some presence in your ministry. If you'll let me, I don't want to just give you my advice. You can call me anytime, I promise you. Pat, how many times do we go through the airport and we send a text and they think that we're, we're looking for a booking when we, we're going through our phone and we're praying for them and all of a sudden God drops it on our heart and we text them and they're like, they think it's perverted. They think we're searching for something. No, you're just on my heart. Listen to this. Each one of you were created to sparkle. I'm going to talk about diamonds just for the next couple of moments because every single one of you is a diamond. I wrote this for my graduating students in our ministry. And it's, I know diamonds seem feminine, but please hear me. Watch this process. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 29, it says, And we know that, in all things, that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose, not our purpose. See, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he, of these he also glorified. Let me explain something in ministry. There's a process. And some of you guys are in that process. And don't get stuck in the process. The greatest way out is always through. Don't get stuck just because it's, it's falling apart. So you think, I'll never forget when I first went on the road, I laid down a $127,000 job. I owned an electrical business with my dad. I wanted to be a millionaire, and I was on my way at a very early age. And all of a sudden, God says, give everything away and, and go and preach the gospel. Ministry was good. I planted a church. 1,300 people walked through in our first year. We were our number one sponsor. We didn't have to worry about money. Our number one sponsor was Pepsi. I didn't go to people to beg for money. Applebee's, Burger King, uh, Little Caesars, McDonald's, they supported our church. The day we closed the doors of the church, we were on, 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 on uh, 700 Club as one of the most unique churches. And all of a sudden, God says, go on the road. I'm like, okay. I, 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 please hear me. I've tried the letters. I spent $6,000, $6,000 on sending out letters, CDs, and all that stuff. I got three responses. Not one of them was an invitation. Every one of them was like, hey, listen, if you were that good of a preacher, you wouldn't have to send out this kind of information to try to get a door open. Another one told me, who was a former superintendent, said, listen, I know another, enough other preachers. When you get a name, call me. And the third one was simply this. He said, I'm booked for the next three years, and I'm sitting in my brother-in-law's office the next day, and all of a sudden, my brother-in-law gets a phone call from the pastor who says, hey, listen, we're looking for a camp speaker and can't find one. And I'm sitting there going, I thought you were booked for three years. I know what it's like, but you know what? Yes, 
People bless you. Pat has opened more doors for me. But you need to understand something. Man can open a door for you. Your prayer life will keep those doors open. See, there's this process that you have to go through. And, and we look at it as like everything's falling apart. I was in my prayer room one day in North Carolina, and I'm like, God, listen. I says, I don't understand. It feels like everything's falling apart. And he says, no, son, it's falling into place. You're used to doing it all by yourself. You know how to make things successful. I had a house. I mean, you need to understand. My six-month-old six little girl had a Barbie Jeep of three different colors. It was like she'd come to our house and it was like my crib. And she would be like, these are my rides. She can't crawl. She can't sit up. But she had three different Barbie Jeeps. Because money could open doors for me. Money was, could, could do these things. And then all of a sudden I went on the road and I lived in a house that was empty. Pat can remember this. He walked into my bedroom one day and he said, because the door was closed. And he says, I want to see your bedroom. And I said, no, I don't want you to see my bedroom. You remember that? And he walked in, and the only thing that was in our room were cardboard boxes and, a, and an air mattress. We had slept on the floor for four months, four of us, on one air mattress. I was ashamed to show my friend. And he says, Jamie, why are you sleeping on the floor? I have a, I have a, I have a guest bedroom that's full of furniture. He says, come and get it tomorrow. That's the kind of a guy that, that put this conference on. Why is it so cheap? Because he says, listen, I don't want you going without that's a true father spirit saying, listen, I don't want you going without when I have extra. Listen, I would rather have a guest bedroom that's empty than your home and you sleeping on the floor. I don't want you to feel like you're going alone through this process. And I remember God put people, and I could call Pat, and I'm like, listen, I'm messing up right now. I'll never forget the day I was traveling like crazy, and all of a sudden my bride, my bride knew who to call to get me in trouble. She called Pat. And you know what she tells him? She says, Jamie is in a wedding right now. He travels so much, but he took another four days, and he's in a wedding for four more days. And I need him home right now. And Pat called me, and I was in Seattle, and he says, why are you in a wedding? And I says, because he's my friend. And he says, listen, you will serve your friends and lose your family. Who can you write? There's a process. See, listen, diamonds are not made, they are formed. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, it says, But we have these treasures in earthen vessels that, that the excellence of the power may be, uh, of, be of God and not of us. See, we are good at making things happen. But what happens when we have to trust God? What happens when we have to rely on God and not on us? See, we, we can't rely on our education, our diploma, our degree. What happens when it has to be about His presence? What happens when we can't fill a church, but He can? You know what I found out? Listen, I've traveled all over this nation, and I'm big on, on altar and prayer. That's my thing, prayer. I was in a church just recently, and the pastor says, we don't really do altars anymore on Sunday morning because we've had to put more church, we had to put more chairs where the altar space used to be. And God spoke to me. You know what he spoke to me? He says, isn't it amazing? They want people more than they want me. See, we're hard-pressed on every side, but notice, not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. See, how a diamond becomes a diamond is three easy steps. The first one is, is creation, the second one is character, and the third one is confirmation. And you need to understand something, that this process takes time. Everybody wants it now. Let me explain something really quick. Maybe you have been like Luke chapter 5 and you've been fishing all night and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he says, throw your nets. He, he takes you out in a boat. And because I just preached this message to my teenagers. I'm preaching this series right now called Not, Not Perfect. Because we've taught people that they have to be perfect and if they're not perfect, be fake. And act like you are. So I preached the first one is not perfect but available. You know what God's looking for? A boat. 
He shows up in Luke chapter 5, and all of a sudden, he sees a boat. There's two boats, actually. One's Peter's and one's James's. And all of a sudden, he gets into Peter's boat, and he says, push me out a little bit. He does a little bit of teaching, and then he says, because see, these men, were, they were cleaning their nets. You know what they were doing? They were giving up. They were discouraged. They were cleaning nets that weren't dirty in the first place because they hadn't caught anything. And all of a sudden, he says, go, let's go a little bit deeper. Let me explain something. In order for you to catch fish, you've got to go deeper than you've ever gone. And I'm not talking about in ministry. I'm talking about with God. And all of a sudden, he pushes him out and he says, throw your nets down. And he says, don't you realize we have worked hard all night long and we have caught nothing? Listen, we are good at working hard. Why are we so tired in ministry? Because we are working hard, but we're not catching anything. Can I tell you something? Fish may come in one by one, but when are we going to start catching the nets? That Our, our boats are going to be full. He goes a little bit deeper. He drops his net. But notice what he says. He says, because you say so, I will do. You'll never do what God tells you to do if you can't hear what he's telling you to do. Don't seek a ministry like Joel Stocksteel. Don't seek a ministry like, 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 like Judah Smith. Don't seek a ministry like Planet Shaker. Seek a ministry that God has for you. You can learn from them. But you know what's made them great? Great teenagers. Teenagers that caught the vision. But you know what's so crazy? Listen to this. About prayer. He says, throw down your nets. They catch all these fish because they did what he told them to do. But watch this real quick. Sometimes doing what God's called you to do means you don't do what you want to do. See, there's this creation of the diamond. We take altars out of our, our, out of the church just like people took prayer out of the schools. Let me explain why. Because we don't do it at home, so why should we do it anywhere else? Let me explain something real quick to you. I, I don't know if you know this or not. God doesn't build you on the altar in a church. He builds you in the secret of your prayer time. You're a work in progress. See, it's the creation of the diamond. Listen to what it takes to create a diamond. Diamonds form about 100 miles below the earth's surface in molten rock of the earth's mantle. Everybody wants somebody else's mantle. But you don't want to go down to get the real one. Which provides the right amount of pressure and heat to transform carbon into a diamond. See, we preach coal. It's not coal, it's carbon. But listen to this. In order for a diamond to be created, carbon must be placed under at least 4, 435,000 pounds of, uh, per square inch of pressure and a temperature of at least 772 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 400 degrees Celsius. See, if the conditions, conditions drop below either one of these two points, graphite is formed. Watch this. You know what graphite is? Something that flexes. You know what diamonds are? Indestructible. And all of a sudden you're praying, I can't take the pressure. I can't take the heat. But if God lifts the pressure and he lifts the heat off of you, he may make something soft in something, instead of something that will last. See, we love preaching about the potter's wheel. But how many of you in this room, your ministries and your worlds are spinning out of control and you feel all this pressure? Welcome to the potter's wheel. You're asking God to do something that may ultimately destroy you. I can't take it. But see, that's because you don't know the finished product. I don't want to be graphite. I don't want to just flex. I don't want to. See, I have made some stands and I've got myself in trouble. And I may get myself in trouble in this room. Three teenage girls were leaving a youth event. Not ours, but someone else's. They were leaving a, an event. And they were driving, and they were going to Starbucks. Their dad was right in front of them. Girl was 18 years old, senior class president of her school. She was driving, and as the light turned green, she started to go. And a man that was drunk, going over 100 miles an hour, with his daughter who was 14 years old and her friend who was 13 years old, in the back of their truck screaming, Dad, please stop. Ran the red light and killed all three of the girls. Both his daughter and the other girl were thrown 
over 80 yards, they came to their, their landing. His daughter's doing terrible. I made a quote that night, or that morning, alcohol is sin. Pastor George, listen to this. I had just preached at CBC. Do you know I had over 300 comments on that? By people that were either training in ministry or are in ministry saying alcohol is not sin. I had over 65 comments from teenagers privately messaging me saying, thank you for making a stand. Everybody else just walks around it. I led five people to the Lord, including one of my best friends who, had, who, who was one of my best friends in school when I used to sell drugs to him. He read that comment, and he had, you see, he had been, his wife had left him after five years of marriage. His, his, he couldn't even talk to his kids. A guy at, the church, at, at, at his workplace also went to church, and he used to beg him five to eight times a day, come to church with me, come to church with me, come to church with me. And he says, all right, I'm going to go. I ain't got nothing else to lose. So he went and cashed his check on that Friday, and he went to the bar to just have one more drink. He walks in, guess who's sitting at the bar? The very man that had invited him. He walks up and he says, wait a second. I, and he says, drinking, having a couple beers ain't wrong. And he says, I don't want to be anything like you because alcohol is destroying me. And that's the reason that I'm in the mess that I'm in. It has nothing to do about control. It has everything to do with compromise. <laughs> so this is the, he sees my statement. Listen. He sees my statement about how alcohol is wrong and, and, and everybody just vomiting all over me because I made a stand. And we call it legalism and law. Let me explain something. The reason I have a towel over my TV is not about legalism or law. Every time I look at that TV, I remember what God's done and I don't ever want to go back. And I celebrate the fact that I've been free from pornography for over 16 years. It's not about law, is it, Daniel? I wasn't bound standing in front of the TV going, God, please don't let me go back. I laid on my bed and just worshiped God last night. I woke up at 4.30 this morning crying out to Jesus this morning and had no guilt to do it. Guilt and shame. What would happen if your prayer life wasn't about just repentance anymore? What could you ask for if you didn't have to tell God, I'm sorry? You'll never see the dead raised. You'll never see the blind see. If you're constantly saying, God, forgive me, I shouldn't have done that. But this guy, he tells me this. Listen to the statement. He says, Jamie, you know what the crazy thing was? Is I went to the bar to go have one more drink because I knew that there were probably some things that I had to give up. He says, you know the problem with Christians is they go to church to figure out what they can keep. And people are willing to give it all away. See, there is this creation process that's got to take time. And we're asking God, well, can I have this? Can I have this? There is nothing. There is nothing that I wouldn't give up for God. Yes, is it hard? Yeah. I woke up the first, today, one of the first times where, I, now please hear me, I love my family with all my, all my heart, but I woke up today with thinking about my family and how much I missed them and can't wait to see them tonight more than thinking about preaching. Listen to this. At depths of 93 miles or more, pressure builds up to over 725,000 pressures, uh, pounds per square inch. Listen, it only takes 435, but listen, at 93 miles, it's 725,000. And the heat can exceed over 2,100 degrees, 1,200 degrees Celsius. Most diamonds that we see today were formed thousands of years ago. Powerful magnum eruptions brought the diamonds to the surface. Let me explain something. Deep explosions reveal diamonds. And until deep cries out to deep, listen, you're, you, you, God may be hiding you. And let me explain why he's hiding you. Because can your prayer life, can it contain and can it hold what God has planned for you? See, remember Luke, he caught fish. You know who held back the fish? Jesus. You know why? Because the disciples had their eyes on their abilities, not on him. And all of a sudden he gets in their boat and he says, listen, you're not a professional fisherman. We are. And he says, that's your problem. You're great at fishing, not catching. Let me show you how to reverse this really quick. Why did he call fishermen? Because fishermen knew how to catch. The problem is they didn't know what to do with them after they caught. They caught living things that watched them die. And he was going to change that and cause them to catch dead things and watch them live. But he had to hold it back. He had to hold back the, the product. He had to hold back the fruit. He had to hold back the catch. Why? Because the catch may be the very thing that destroys you. He says, 
Drop your nets now. I shared this story. A pastor by the name of Brad, small church, works for free, volunteer. He heard that comment, can your prayer life sustain what God has for you? He goes, I'm not praying very much. He starts praying. His youth ministry has quadrupled. You know why? God's not going to damage you and destroy you by giving you something you can't handle. If you won't seek him before you, while it's miserable, you'll never seek him after you're catching. See, diamonds are formed under pressure and in, under intense heat. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. How do I smile when I'm getting killed? How do I put joy on and consider it joy when, when Patty's telling me I need to die? Because by me dying means that he can live in and through me. We have this saying in our refuge school ministry, dead men have no rights. If you're complaining, you've had a resurrection. You may not believe in the dead being raised, but you're resurrecting right now and you got flesh on and I don't like you. Get away from me. Go kill yourself. I love when my bride looks at me and she says, you haven't prayed. Go kill yourself. Get rid of your flesh. I don't like him. We're one decision away from going back to who we used to be, so we got to make those decisions not to go back. What are you talking about, Jamie? I'm talking about 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. It says, friend, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ has experienced, the very refining process with glory just around the corner. You may be turning away from the very thing that you've been praying for. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not there. See, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. We heard this, no pain, no gain. But listen, struggling is God's way of strengthening you. Go into a gym and find the biggest man that looks like Pat. Has arms like him. It's hard to do. It's taken a lot of years. But go into a gym and find a big muscle man. Does he go into the gym and lift the least amount of weight? Absolutely not. He goes in there and lifts the most amount he can. And he does this thing called maxing out. And maxing out is to see exactly what they can lift. And then they put on a little more. Do they max out by themselves? Absolutely not. They max out with this thing called spotter. And the spotter is not there to pick up all the weight. The spotter is there to lift what they cannot lift. See, we'll sit there and we'll cry out, God, God, help me. God, please, please, I can't take this. And God says, listen, no temptation has seized you except for what is common to man. And if you're being tempted, I know you have the ability to get over it. But see, the Holy Spirit is our spotter. And he's saying, listen, I'm not going to lift because I need you to push. Give it everything you got. Don't tell me that's all you have. I know that there's more inside of you. And we're struggling and we're struggling and we're pushing. And all of a sudden we get it up and we look all strong. But are we strong? No, because after a struggle, you have wasted every ounce of energy you have. And you may look strong, but what are you? You're weak. And then all of a sudden you wake up in the middle of the morning and you go to lift up and you're like, oh God. That truck just backed over me. That's where being bald really comes into play. Listen, you just go to the shower. You don't got to move your arms. You just move your head. You're like, oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. You're brushing your teeth. Oh, Jesus. You can't move, and then you have that one friend finds out you're sore, and he's like, hey. Oh, you're sore. Why are you sore? Or maybe you'll have your kid that comes up to you and says, will you hold me? Or maybe your bride or maybe your groom bumps into you. And you're like, they're trying to hurt me. No, they're not. After a struggle, everybody feels like they're trying to hurt you. In reality, nobody's trying to hurt you. You're just hurting. Why? Because your muscles are exploding because they're getting bigger. If you're in pain, it means that you're getting strong. And you're going to be able to lift something that you thought you could. Why? Because it's the creation process. What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about every single one of you is being created to glisten, to sparkle, to, to shine. Malachi chapter 3, verses 17. It says, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. One day that I make them my jewels. You know what God? God's going to show you off. Nobody, no, I can tell you, I promise you, Shelly, if I bought her a great big diamond ring, she's not going to keep it in her pocket. She's going to show it off. 
Isaiah 62, verse 3. Listen to this. It says, you shall be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. Watch. What does it say when we get to heaven? We'll get what? For our work? A crown. Do you know every person that makes it into heaven will make up the crown of Jesus? And the father will look at his son and say, well done. All that I do is to bring glory to the God, my father in heaven. You're going to be part of his crown. You're going to be a jewel. You're going to be something that glistens and maybe not should have been there, but you made it anyway. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. But you are the ones, listen to it, it says in the message, you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he has made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Until you're rejected, you'll never be accepted. See, we are all under pressure, but God is in control of the heat and the pressure. See, you have to go through the creation of the diamond, and then the second part is the character of the diamond. And see, the diamond is characterized by four things. Number one, the clarity. Number two, the cut. Number three, the color. And number four, the carrot. See, the clarity of the diamond, how many of you ladies know SI1 or VS1 or VVS1 or IF or F? You know what an SI is? It means that you can see flaws without even a microscope. You know what VS1 means? It means that you look under a microscope and there's some very slightly infractions. And then the VVS means there's very, very slightly infractions. And, you, and the, more the, the, the less there's flaws, the more you have to look. But you need to understand there's people still looking for your flaws. And the less flaws you have, the less noticeable flaws you have, the more worth you have. Then it gets into IF. Listen to what IF is. IF is this. It means the diamond is flawless, almost flawless, or internally flawless, which examined by a trained professional under 10 power magnification. Can I tell you that IF and F diamonds are very rare. How many of you know there's only one flawless diamond, and his name was Jesus, and the world couldn't understand him. It says the, world st the light stepped into the world, and the world could not stand the light. Nobody likes to get shined in the eyes in the dark with something bright. But everybody else has flaws. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Psalms 14. It says, they have all turned aside. They are, have all together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, no, not one. See, we... we May have not, we may not want to admit it, but we all have flaws. But unlike diamonds, our flaws can be taken out of us. I loved what Patty said yesterday. She said this, you'll go to an altar and you think you're doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden it goes from levels of death. And all of a sudden you're like, I didn't even know I struggled with that. And all of a sudden God goes, I want that too. Because the closer you get to God, the more your flaws are revealed. But some people don't want to get that close to God so they can keep their flaws. Listen, I want to be examined by God. I want to be revealed. See, Philippians 3, 12. Not that I've already obtained this, already been made perfect, but I press on. Can you keep going even though you're not perfect? Even though your ministry ain't perfect. Even though you have people that are demons. I walked into a youth ministry for a friend. Let me explain that. Traveling was going great. School ministry going great. We wanted to be connected with the church so that we didn't raise up a bunch of mavericks that felt like we could do this on our own. We don't need no church. Because that's what happens when a school ministry is not attached to a church. I said, no, 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 no. My friend called me and he says, listen, I just need somebody that's stubborn enough to love people even though they hate you. And I said, I'm an evangelist. I'm used to that. 
I went into a youth ministry that my daughter used to go to that ran over 200 every week, 400 every outreach, and I walked in and there were 12 kids. I wasn't about to blow it up. Every time it starts getting close to 100, I tear it down. I want 35 kids that will love Jesus. That's all I'm asking for. God told me, if you'll raise up 35 kids that are disciples, I'll give you a youth ministry well over 300. It's not about the numbers. It's about the depth. Can your kids stand in the face of adversity and stand strong? Can your people look at temptation and laugh at it and say, man, I remember when that used to get me. See, let me explain something really quick. See, there's only, there, the only things that will remove the flaws in your life is number one, prayer. You know what prayer does? Brings you into the presence of God. You know, the second thing is the word of the living God. You know what the word is? It's a knife. It's like a sharpened two-edged sword. It's the scalpel. You go into the presence, which is like the operating room, and then all of a sudden he breaks out the word and he begins to dissect you. And he begins to get this, and he says, listen, this is going to hurt, but it's going to save you a lot of hurt in the future if you let me take it out now. Don't let it get infected. And then you have to have these spiritual authorities, these parents, these mothers and fathers that are in your life. You know what these are? These are the hands of the surgeon. These are the ones that God uses to look in your life and say, you know what? That's not okay. And the fourth one is time. It's the procedure. Let me ask you a question. Without you saying a word, how much time do you spend in personal prayer every day? Every day. I have a lock-in rule. This is not to boast. Three-hour lock-in rule before I preach. You know why? Because I better spend at least three hours because if the altar goes one hour, I want to spend at least that much time with God for myself. Well, we don't have enough time. And you're going to be like Adam in the fig tree covering up your nakedness with leaves. We may not have leaves, but we'll have lights. We'll have video We'll have drama and all this presentation to make people forget that there's no fruit on the tree. What are you talking about? Let me explain something. You stand up with the presence of God and you speak a word and you don't need lights. They'll run and crumble under the presence of God. They'll sit there and go, I don't even know why I'm crying. It was like this international service that I was just preaching. Listen to this. 19, 19 different tongues that were spoken there pastor was sitting about three rows in front of me. He wept the entire time. And I saw somebody talking to him in his ear. And I went up to him afterwards and he ran. He was the first one at the altar, just ran and buried himself into the altar. He came up to me afterwards with an interpreter and says, I couldn't understand a word you were saying. And the person was trying to speak to me in their dialect, but I couldn't understand their dialect. And he says, but all I could do was weep because I felt like I was hearing from God. It says, and they were first called Christians by the world, not self-proclaimed. You know what they were doing? They were preaching Jesus, and all of a sudden they said, wait a second, you look and act and say the very things that he did. So you must be like him. When you stand up and preach, do you get accused of being like him? Why? Because all of a sudden his light is beginning to show forth through you. See, I may not have as many flaws that I used to have, but thank, or I may not, I may still have flaws in my life, but thank God I don't have as many as I used to. See, then you have the cut of the diamond and the cut, listen to this, this is one that's going to set somebody free. See, the cutting process is the, point, the most important aspect of a diamond's beauty. Diamonds don't come out of the ground looking like they do in a ring. See, he who finds a diamond must grapple in the mud and the mire because diamonds are not found as polished stones. They are crafted into them. It takes a skilled professional that can look past all the flaws and the excess in order to look into the heart of the stone and recognize the diamond within. Can I tell you, you've got to have a mentor that will look at you and say, listen, this don't matter and this don't matter, but that does. And that diamond right there has got to shine forth. 
A diamond's proportions determines how well the diamond will sparkle. And listen to this, refract light. You know what refract light is? See, I, I, I misspoke this when I first wrote it. But then one of my students, their parents are these, 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 these brain surgeons of gems and diamonds and stones and stuff. And they said, diamonds don't reflect, they reflect. And I said, well, what does refract mean? And they said, it means it takes in the light and explodes it out. But you know what every cut on a diamond does? Releases a new area for the diamond, the light to show, show for. Nobody wants to get cut. But that cut someday is going to reflect and refract the very presence of God. And they're going to look at those cuts and they're going to look at those scars. And they're going to go, wait a second, I see Jesus in it. See. A diamond has no say in how it's cut. The cutting process cuts away what has been hiding the beauty within. See, the cutting process hurts, but it is not intended to harm the stone, but to expose its true potential. Then you have the color of the diamond, and the color of the diamond has a lot to do with where the diamond was formed. See, color is determined with, by what elements, what voices were around you when you were being formed. Let me explain something. All these ladies like these little chocolate diamonds. Listen to this. Do you know that right now there is a search across the world trying to find these, these heaps and heaps of chocolate diamonds that are uncut because they found out chocolate diamonds have less, less flaws than white ones do. Now watch. They said the man that finds these Chocolate diamonds that were thrown away because they thought they were dirty. The man that finds these diamonds will be the richest man in all the world. You know what we've done is we've thrown away what we thought was dirty, what we thought was tainted, what we thought was. See, listen, it's time that we don't we don't we don't throw, throw stones at that fallen minister, but we restore them and say, get behind me. I'll take a shot for you. Why? Because you're my brother. You're my sister and you're not dirty. God's still got a plan for your life. See, all are still diamonds, but some of them are more clear than others. And then you have the carrot of the diamond and the carrot of the diamond, the carrot or the weight or a carrot weight is not the same as size. Now, listen to this. A diamond uh, does not choose its size, but is responsible to glisten when the light shines through it. See, do not look at the size of your ministry, but instead the weight of your ministry. The size of a diamond that I gave to Shelly does not make her my bride, but my, our commitment to each other. See, diamonds were created to sparkle. How much are you committed to what God's called you to? And then you have the confirmation, and I'm done right here. You have conflict diamonds. You know what those are? Blood diamonds, also called converted diamonds, or a conflict diamond, hot diamond, or a war diamond. It refers to a diamond mined in war zone and sold to finance the insurgents, the invading armies, war efforts, or a warlord's activity. Let me explain something. Don't you dare be a war diamond. Don't you dare be a blood diamond. Don't you dare finance what the enemy's wanting to do to destroy. Listen, if your pastor hurts you, you smile. Don't you dare return a spear. You walk out cleaner. You make sure that you leave that ministry better than you found it. Don't tear down the house that God is building. Maybe he hurt you. Or maybe he just released you to what God's called you to. So, oh, I feel that word on somebody in this place. They have been hurt. Don't return the hurt. Listen. We all know some Christians who could be called conflict Christians. See, you cannot allow your worth to be determined by the battles you face or fight. Then you have the cubic zirconian. It's a synthesized material that is hard and optically flawless. They look like diamonds in all ways. And they will even look flawless, but better a diamond with a flaw than a rock without one. You know why? Because cubic zirconians are fake. Don't be fake. And the third one is this real thing. Diamonds are hard. The word diamond comes from the Greek word atomos, which means indestructible, invisible. See, a diamond is the hardest natural substance known, having been created by intense heat and pressure. In order to become becoming like diamonds, you have to be created the only way possible, and that's through fiery trials and then final precision sculpting by the master jeweler as he cuts them into priceless gems. You know what? Diamonds are nothing more than chunks of carbon that stuck to it. 
enemy wants you to quit because he knows what you're capable of. You know what's so crazy is? The only thing that can scratch a diamond is another diamond. And we'll leave our marks all over each other, won't we? The diamond is the only gem that is created out of a very single element. God didn't call you to be relevant. He called you to be holy. He didn't call you to act like the world, dress like the world, talk like the world. He said, be like me. Jesus didn't subject himself. He didn't become like the Pharisees to reach the Pharisees. He became the truth to expose the truth. No more mixing. You know what? And Pat, if you'll come on up here, my friend. Listen, there's this Greek term, term for purity, and it's Elkrians. It means unable to alloy or unable to combine. Listen, if I was to take out half this water and fill it up with oil, you know what it would do if I shook it? What would it do? No matter how much I shook it, no matter what I did to it, what would happen? Separate. When your world's shaken, do you separate from it or do you combine? Because the reason you can't, if you combine, that means you're of like matter. If you don't combine, that means you're completely opposite and you oppose. Let me explain something. God's wanting to shake up your world to show the world that you're not anything like it, but you're like him. But you got to have people in your life that will say, no more. Knock it off. God's got a plan for your life. That's why Pat put on the Legacy Conference. Because we're tired of traveling all over America and all over the world. And it's hard to pick out the pastors from the kids. A generation is looking for fathers, but let me explain something. It's hard to be a father if you've never been fathered and you cannot be mentored by a peer. He won't be your friend. Yes, he'll be your friend. But he won't be your friend when you need him. He'll be a father. Pastor George will be a father. They'll say the things that you don't want to hear so that you don't have to tell them the things that they don't want to hear. Thank you for listening. We pray that this word would sit in your spirit and transform you. For more information or to become a covenant partner with Mercy Seat Ministries and Evangelist Pat Karen Chatsline, you can log on to www.mercyseatministries.com.